Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. So welcome back, Claudine, to Paris History Avec a Hemingway, and I'm really excited about who we're talking about. This is going to be a long one. We split this up into multiple episodes because there's so much to talk about. It's Marie Antoinette. She's most one of the most iconic women in French history, and there's so much to talk about. I mean, so many surprises and twists and turns about her life. And I, a couple years ago, I went to her childhood home in Vienna. She was born in Vienna, and I visited the castle. And I know Claudine mentioned she was one of 16 or something ridiculous. And it was so interesting to to learn about her life and her childhood. So that's where we're starting. We're starting with her childhood and how she got to France. I'll let Claudine jump in on there. Well, hello, everybody. Yeah, this one's uh, pretty exciting. Marie Antoinette, I think, is probably one of the most fascinating and well-known women in, in French history, probably for anywhere around the world. But she, yeah, she did have a very interesting life. And I mean, I think we all know how it ended. And I think we all know things about her. A lot of the things people know about her or think that she had said she has not. But we'll get to that down the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's yes. a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of misconceptions. But, you know, she was born a 1755 in Vienna, just like you said, and she was a 15th of the of 16 children. That's which, so many kids. Like, how did her mother like? Yeah, so many yeah, that's just, oh a, that's just a lot of kids. But her mother was Empress um, Marie Therese, and her father was Francois Premier. He was the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Big deal. Fancy, fancy title. Uh, but her father was, you know, very kind and loving and very sweet um, to his children, especially to Marie Antoinette. The mother was uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah, she was the opposite. Yeah, she was, um, you know, she was actually a very smart and shrewd uh, politician. So she, you know, Francois actually, you know, relied on her to to make a lot of the decisions that were going on for the country. And she definitely had her her own agenda. So when he passed away, she he passed away in 1765 and Marie Antoinette was only nine years old. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. So she, you know, Marie Antoinette's now left with, you know, this, you know, monster of a mother, we should say. <laughs> a power mom. A power mom of the, you know, of the 18th century. And, you know, her father had, you know, had ideas of like who, who they should be married to, you know, because back then you, you had marriages for alliances. And so, you know, he had definite ideas for all of his daughters and his sons of who they should be married to. And when he died, uh, Marie Therese was basically like, nope, doing my own thing. So <laughs> he was actually really against the French because he was kind of always in a long time war with the Lorraine and region and with France. And so he, you know, never wanted any alliance or anything to do with France. 
Marie Therese had a whole different idea because she was kind of a bit of a Francophile. And so, you know, that's, there's some good things about her, but she, she was, yeah, so she decided she wanted to um, have her daughter get lined up with, with France. And this was after they were having like the seven years war and they wanted to, you know, patch things up. And so she had reached out to Louis the 15th and had offered her daughter's hand in marriage to the future Dauphin, who would be Louis the 16th. You know, at first he, it took him a long time to be convinced. Like they were constantly sending him them portraits you know, you actually had to paint a portrait, you know, this of is a nine year old girl. Yeah. And send it to them and be like, you know, here's what she looks like. And, you know, sending letters and updates of what she was go- doing and what where she was at. And, you know, at this time, Marie Antoinette just wanted to play in the yard with her brothers and sisters. Like most nine year olds. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she was 11 years old when this started and it took three years for that, for Louis the Fifteenth to be convinced, hmm. he didn't really want to marry with an Austrian. Yeah, he just wasn't completely convinced. He had reservations because of her, of the you know her teeth. He had reasons to think like he didn't like the her teeth, her style, the way her hair was. And Marie Therese was at, at a young age was trying to groom. Marie Antoinette, you know, because of course, at that time, you know, even before she was nine, she's, you know, she, she's not going to marry the cobbler down the street. She's going to make, you know, <laughs> she was promised to royalty all yeah, along. Yeah. And Marie Antoinette just really didn't want anything to do with it. So they were trying to teach her, you know, give her dance lessons and etiquette lessons and all of these things. And so Marie Therese was tapped into like this uh, French uh, French company of dancers and performers. And when Louis the Fifteenth heard this, he was like outraged that you know the first future queen of France can't be cavorting with you know street players. <laughs> she needed to stay above all of them. Yeah. So he so then he ended up sending Pierre Valmont who to Austria and he to teach her everything she needed to know to fix so her hair. A French man usually came to fix yes. her up. Yeah. So fix her style, fix her teeth, fix her, you know, fi- to educate her, do everything. And he was constantly sending updates back to Louis the Fifteenth. And she was saying that she was gracious and she holds herself well. She has great qualities and has a, a heart as her heart is excellent. Huh. But what does that mean? <laughs> I, I think maybe she's just sweet. <laughs> okay. Her heart is excellent. <laughs> yeah, her heart is excellent. But that she's spoiled, has high spirits, and she's vivacious to a fault. Which vivacious she, to a fault. I, I would know, never hate like on thing. vivacious. That's <laughs> a great that's a, word. I know. <laughs> so he, you know, he was he said that she couldn't concentrate. She didn't want to concentrate on anything. She just kind of got tired, you know, like they try to teach her things and she would just be like, oh, I'm done with this, you know, just wanted to move <laughs> Moving on. on. Yeah. And but, how old was she during that time? Because he finally convinced uh, that it would work when she was like nine and then she didn't leave till 11. Yeah. Well, no, she didn't leave until she was 14. 14. So it started when she was 11 that they were going to, you know, betroth her to mm. Louis the 16th. And so it took for three, for three years. They were prepping her they for Louis. They were prepping her, yeah. And her mom was and like, how old was Louis? Louis is just a year older than her. Oh, okay. So pretty yeah. close in age. Yeah. So, and her mom was kind of constantly worried about her. Like, I, I don't know about this, you know, but of course she's not going to tell us, say that. She's going to want to keep, you know, this whole secret going because yeah, she, needs she needs it. a connection. She needs it because it gives her so much. So, in 1769, uh, Louis the 15th finally said, okay, and sent like the official, like, 
were, you know, taking her hand in marriage to the future Dauphin of France, you know, the Dauphin and, and okay, yeah, now we'll do this. So he said he wanted to have a, a Easter wedding. And, you know, so this was like the end of 1769. And by April, April 19th, she got married to Louis the 16th in Vienna, but by proxy and her <laughs> brother stood in for her for Louis the 16th. Why couldn't he be there? Well, this is what they did. They did this a, a lot of times with a lot of the royals is, and I don't, I'm not actually sure why, but like, you know, Henry the fourth and Marie, Marie de Medici, they did it too, where they just do a wedding. I think it's like, they just do it to have it done. And so somebody stands in for the groom. Sounds so romantic. And it's always like a brother or an uncle, which is kind of gross. Super creepy. <laughs> like, here's my Uncle Bob. <laughs> I know. So it's like, you know, here's this grand painting of Marie de Medicis in the Louvre. And it's like her wedding to Henry IV, but it's actually her uncle. So do they actually have to kiss or something? No, I don't, think, I, ho- I, yeah, I don't think so. Hopefully not. Hopefully okay. like the only <laughs> tradition of a wedding day and night. Yeah, gross. <laughs> only occurred there of just like the exchange, exchanging of the vows. We needed the painting. Yeah, but just two days later, she ended up leaving. And so they put her, you know, basically in a, in a carriage. And, you know, she said goodbye to her family and everything she knew in Vienna and had to leave it all behind. And her mother basically pimped all her children out for international ties, as I understood it. This was not just with Marie Antoinette. She did this with all the kids. Yeah, with all of them, which was pretty common at the time. But you have to, I mean, you've seen the amount of stories that I've seen and read and even in movies. And you think that, you know, it's just kind of. It just seems so strange that a mother could just be like, okay, see you later. You know, it's just like, it doesn't seem like there's this big, you know, it, it just seems like they had children almost as a duty. Yeah, it was like no emotional connection. Yeah, yeah it was which, to extend the crown and it was to extend the powers within countries. And it was just kind of like, here's my kid at five years old and here you go off to France to... You know, I mean, after 16 children, I guess you have to kind of distance yeah. yourself and be like, oh, my God, Jesus, how do I connect with all of you? She's like, I need a minute to myself. And also they were like royalties. So they didn't actually care for the children. Like they had other people doing everything, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't, you know, even like back then they didn't even nurse their children. You know, it's just kind of was like they had them as what they needed to do. And then somebody else basically raised them. Mm, yeah, it's so strange to think about that. Like it really was just like a power move once again it wasn't to have kids for any other reason yeah. than to make international ties yeah. and it's really kind of sad it's mm-hmm. really for the pretty, children yeah. <laughs> especially for the children i mean you go you take this little girl out of you know from playing in the yard with her brothers and sisters to okay now you're gonna go and you know you're gonna be the queen of one of the most powerful countries of you know europe before you even know what that means because exactly. her brain wasn't even developed enough no. to get that it's like a high power playing Barbie or something. Yeah, yeah. So this this is all goes into, you know, like the whole mystique of Marie Antoinette. And you look at, you know, this is what we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but you have to look at like the things that she did later down the road ended up causing her death. You know, what did what what did you learn when you're, you know, forced into this into this element when you're at such a young age? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that had to leave some yeah. trauma, you know, based on what happened to her. But continue. She's on the carriage <laughs> to her new uncle, hubby, yeah. weird situation. 
before she left, her mom was really worried. And so like the two months before she left, she had her stay in her room and sleep in her room with her every night. And she would talk to her about like, you know, this is, you know, these are the things you're going to experience and this is your duties and this is what you have to do. And she, you know, she was pretty worried about it. And she wrote a list to, uh, to her said like all these regulations and code of conduct and everything that she should be doing. She told Marie, she's like, you need to read this once a month on the 21st of the month. <laughs> oh, wow. So that was how to make a baby. Yeah. Well, I think there was, you know, there's probably a whole lot of other things in there too. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on there. Your duties as a wife and yes. everything. Her mom was basically worried that she'd mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. She was very she wasn't, worried. Wasn't worried about the well-being of her child. Oh, Just no, like, no, don't, no. don't mess up my uh, connection to France. Here. Oh yeah, for sure. And so like her mom was so worried that as soon as like Marie Antoinette's carriage was, you know, down the end of the road, she went to the church and like prayed and said, you know, how she was so worried about her and how this was going to turn out. Yeah. Sounds like she really cared a lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't mess up France. I want to go to France. <laughs> I know exactly. But she, you know, Marie Antoinette, it took her like uh, over two weeks by carriage, you know, to get, oh to get towards France. And so once they got to Germany and they were on the banks of the Rhine in the little town called Kiel, which uh, I'm not sure if I even said that right, but <laughs> it's a little <laughs> town and it basically is opposite of uh, Strasbourg. So hmm. it's right on the banks of the Rhine and there was a little tiny, it was in the middle of the Rhine. There was this little teeny tiny Island. And so on the Island, they made this makeshift hut and they built this little, you know, quickly built this little hut. They covered it with tapestries and fabrics and decorated it. And it was this very beautiful, lavish little hut. And when Marie Antoinette arrived there with her companions and her friends that had traveled with her, and even her dog, she got off and then they went to this little island. And when she went into one door, the one door was uh, basically Vienna and mm -hmm. the opposite door was France. Mm -hmm. So she got out and she walks through this, the, into this little hut. And once she was in there, they made her take off all of her clothes, like every single thing, jewelry, every stitch of anything she had on. Yeah. And they they pulled her into this other part of the hut and they completely redressed her in all of, you know, French fabrics, French clothes, French jewelry, everything. Wow. So it was very important to have France all over her for arrival. Yeah. So they called it, a, the, it was called the surrender of the wife. And it, it went back way back into the ancient regime. And it was something that always happened. So it was basically like, you are basically now, you're leaving your past life behind you. You're no mm -hmm. longer Austrian. You're French. now French. And she had to give up, like her friends couldn't come with her. Her She had to leave her dog behind. Oh, her dog. Everything. And, you know, again, she's 14 years old. Yeah, that's like such a hard time in general for any teenager, yeah, yeah. let alone leaving everyone you know, including your dog behind. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just like, I mean, when you think about, you know, the the Marie, the Marie Antoinette movie by Sofia Coppola does a really great job of, and it's, it's pretty accurate, basically recreating this scene. And it is pretty sad, you know, watching what you have to just basically give up everything, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was a child. Yeah. So, but there was a couple days before these um, young college age kids were running around and they, they snuck into the, snuck onto the Island and they went inside this little hut and they were in there. And this one college student was, you know, there was these huge tapestries, which, you know, back then they would take like famous artists, they would take like Boucher, they would take his paintings and they would basically weave them into these gigantic tapestries that. that oh yeah. Those are beautiful. I've seen those. Yeah. 
Gobelin, the Gobelins at, in uh, Paris, if you could go to that museum where they, mm-hmm. that's where they actually created a bunch of those. It was just amazing. Mm-hmm. But so this, this kid gets in there and he's in there with his friends and he sees this one tapestry and he was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And he, they were like, what, what's going on? And he's like, he goes, this is horrible. This tapestry, it was a, the tale of Jason, Medusa and Crusa. And it was a, basically a old um, story of this really horrible, unhappy marriage. Huh. So he was like, they can't have this in here while this, you know, new beautiful queen is going to be coming through. This is, this is bad. Yeah, this is a bad omen. Yeah, and then nobody, you know, it just kind of it. The next day, she was there, and it still was hanging. And so know. they basically caused the French Revolution. With they the did. It was those, yeah, and that <laughs> it was that kid's fault because he didn't tell him. <laughs> of course, yeah, that guy. Yeah, but basically, you know, she walked out, then walks out the other door. They are headed now towards Strasbourg. And once she was on that other side of the door, she's like, you know, now she's basically, she's not a 14 little girl from 14 year old little girl from Vienna. She's now a woman. Mm, or so she's supposed to be supposed after all this be. training and clothing and no puppy. Did they at least give her a new puppy? Well, I think she got some more puppies when she got to Versailles. Okay. That's great. <laughs> That's my main concern. Here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the puppies are important, but yes. she, uh, they stopped in Strasbourg and she wanted to go to mass. And so she ended up going, they took her to the big cathedral that's in Strasbourg and the main um, archbishop wasn't there. And so there was a different clergy member that was there and he, you know, walked her to the altar and they did mass and all this. And he, his name was Louis. Prince de Rohan, and mm-hmm. his name will come up in a couple episodes when we talk about the a very famous episode of the necklace. Mm, okay, so, so keep yeah. him in mind, people. Yes, just keep, remember his name. But she, a couple days later, about a week later, they ended up arriving in Compagnie, which is just right outside of what was right at that time was right outside of Paris. And while she was there, then she finally got to actually meet her husband for the first time face to face. And how'd that go? Were they all pimple face? I know. And, uh, <laughs> nervous. Yeah. Sweaty palms. Louis the Sixteenth was an incredibly quiet and shy boy. I mean, man. I mean, at this point, he's 15. He's a boy. He's a boy, um, yeah. But he was, you know, incredibly shy. You know, his grandfather's Louis the Fifteenth, who was just, you know, this, you know, libertine and Mr., you know, kind of loud and, you know, the life of the party at that point. And he, you know, here comes Louis the Sixteenth, and he was just really quiet and shy. And she was, you know, she was so excited to, you know, finally get to, you know, see him and meet him. And he just was so shy that he just kind of stood back and, you know, she walked up and curtsy to them, which mm-hmm. they thought was strange. Cause at that point, you know, she's not, doesn't really need to do that to her, you know, husband. She's the queen. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, he just, uh, he just kind of stood there. I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. I, I had read that he really, I guess once he got older, he liked to tinker with clocks a lot. He was really locks. like into it. Locks. Yeah, locks. Yeah. yeah. He was really into tinkering and that he spent, like, that seems like, what I would imagine a child being like, who was like a tinkerer, you know, like shy and introvert. Yeah. Like playing, just playing with locks and playing with fun little things like that. Uh, But yeah, that's He definitely, that in hunting, he was a big hunter. So it didn't go so well. At least he wasn't mean though. He He wasn't. And I think the thing, you know, they, I think they actually, because they were so close in age. um, I think they actually definitely had a, a real fondness for each other. Just Mm -hmm. because, you know, she was also, she was out of her element. She was also kind of, you know, quiet and shy at first because, you know, some people loved the idea of her and some people were like, oh, she's this, the foreigner. 
Yeah, and they didn't really like the Austrians. I mean, no. they had had a lot of history with Austria. No. It wasn't like they wanted to be best friends with that no. country. <laughs> no, no. So the next day, they ended up going to Versailles, and so the next day, she's you know in a in a carriage early in the morning. She gets to Versailles. It's the day of her you know wedding, like the big the big fancy wedding. You know, this time she's going to actually marry the right guy. Not have uncle, uncle's not standing there. Yeah. He's in the crowd this time. Yeah. So she was taken to the queen's apartment because the queen um, had passed away a couple of years before that. And so she was taken to the queen's apartment and to get dressed. And when they put the dress on her, it, they realized it didn't fit because the, the designer that was from Paris made it and kind of guessed at the measurements. And she was tiny. I mean, she had like a 19 inch waist. She was a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. So, but the dress still was, was too small for her. It was too small. It was too small for her. So the back of it, you know, back then you had, you know, corsets and, you know, the under corsets and all of these different things and the dress that went over and they, they couldn't get it to fully close, close. And it was too, there wasn't anything they could do at this point. The wedding was in like an hour. What? So she couldn't get into the dress. What did they do? Well, they ended up like, she ended up going down the aisle and they kind of fixed it where, you know, she had the under, you know, the under pieces or, you know, slips underneath it. And, but you could, they, they said you could actually see through the back of it because it wasn't, couldn't be, it couldn't lace up the entire way. That's a great start to her marriage. Everybody kind of hates her already. And yeah. now she's showing up. I mean, the French value, especially being the queen, how you look. Right. To, it looks so unprofessional. I wonder if someone got beheaded over that. <laughs> but luckily, things were laced up back then. Like, if it was a hook or eye, like, it'd be like, sorry, you know, there wasn't anything they could do. Like, you know, they just probably laced it up. But her dress was covered with, like, thousands of diamonds that her mother had sent over for like her dowry. And it was the, the, the queen's families. um, It was kind of their role in the wedding was to, you know, bejewel their daughter. Mm. And so the dress actually was kind of like a, a silvery white and it just was covered with like tons and tons of diamonds and jewels. Wow. That sounds crazy. Beautiful. Are there paintings of that? Um, there isn't, I see it. There's drawings of her, of her dress, but you, you know, you can't really, you know, like I just imagine it being like a disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> it was it outside or was she inside? It was inside. So they ended up like he, Louis came and met her at the apartment and they walked together through the hall of mirrors and down to the Royal chapel where they got, where they got married in the Royal chapel. And they were, you know, the, the, the archbishop was there and he blessed their rings and he performed the ceremony. And after that, they had a huge banquet in the, um, in the opera that had just been finished the opera house in Versailles. Wow. That's so, I mean, what a wedding. Yeah. No, <laughs> no big deal. No, yeah, big every deal. Time, no, every big time deal. I walk through the hall of mirrors now, I'm just going to be thinking about those. I, know. I didn't know they got married there. I know. And then you just think about like the light, like, you know, it was the, it was a, their wedding was at like 11 in the morning. So, you know, it was the light coming in and like, you know, hitting off the, between her diamonds and the mirrors. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm sure it was just breathtaking. <laughs> <laughs> God, disco ball. I wanted to ask you too. I had read that they even took her teeth and gave her new teeth is that true well i mean they fixed her teeth so back then they they probably could have you know i don't know if they would have known how to do like implants then though yeah what did they do to her te- how do you fix her teeth know. they didn't have like braces or invisible i don't know 
Uh, yeah. Sounds painful, <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah, Invisalign was a long ways away. <laughs> yeah, but they were supposed to then after the after the whole day of celebrations, they were supposed to have a big fireworks show at Versailles, and they couldn't do it because it was incredibly overcast and the weather it was like stormy and they couldn't do it. So they ended up doing it at the end of May instead. And they did it in Paris on the Place Louis the 15th, which turned into Place de la Revolution, which turned into Place de la Concorde. And ah. they had this huge, huge firework display and that they built this wooden scaffolding on it in front of basically the gates of the Tuileries that we know now. And it, the fireworks, one of them fell down and lit the entire thing on fire. And it caused this huge panic and like people were running and horses were stomping and like 300 people died. What? Those are so many bad starts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they actually like Marie and Louis felt so terrible. Like they were just horrified by it. They did. They weren't there, uh, but they were so horrified by it that they like ended up sending all of this money to the families and to the victims and stuff because they felt so terrible that this all happened in their celebration. Wow, so they really should have taken that tapestry down. They I mean, should have taken the tapestry. But... The wedding dress, <laughs> the fireworks show, the stormy weather. Yeah. Oh, but I think it's start. also, you know, because people, you know, people have a lot of assumptions that, you know, that, the, you know, that they just did whatever they want. They spent all this money on whatever they want. And, you know, some of that, some of that is definitely true. But, you know, it's not as horrible of a picture. And especially when you hear a story like that, that they paid, you know, they wanted to help all these victims and gave like all the money that they personally had to help mm -hmm. them. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a little bit nicer picture of what their character was. And how much of these things were they actually deciding? Because they had the whole court and advisors and things like that. So do you think that a lot of times people were just telling them what oh, to yeah. do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, they I didn't really have any say. They were just a status symbol. Oh, no. Like, Marie didn't show up there and sit down with the wedding planner. No, that was <laughs> any of that. I think. Like, purple flowers. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, like, when they get up in the morning, that it's like there's somebody that actually, whoever's the highest ranking um, noble woman in the room, she puts, hands her the gown and, and somebody else puts it on her. Like, you can't even, you know, you don't do anything alone. Mm -hmm. So, even bathroom time. Well, yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, somebody's even there when you're taking a bath. There's just somebody, you know, there's somebody there when they were in bed. Mm. How are you supposed to be making babies with some dude chilling well, in the corner? That was definitely a problem they had. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you can always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter there. <laughs>